1: Hello Art History
2: Babes! It is officially spooky season. Literally, today is the autumn equinox. So in addition to sending out loads of new content, we will be re-releasing our past Halloween episodes. Also, just heads up, we have a limited edition merch line right now available for the spooky season, so be sure to check that out at arthistorybabes.com merchandise. And if you haven't heard, we're gonna go on a Big New York City trip. The Art History Babes are spending five days in New York City this December and we would like you to come with us. It's going to be a super fun time. So much art, so many museums to check out. If you want to check out the whole itinerary and book your spot, head to likemindstravel.com. There will also be a link in the show notes. And if you book by September 30th, you get $100 off the package price. So jump on that. The episode you're about to listen to is the first Art History Babes Halloween episode, originally released on October 25th, 2016, about Memento Mori or Reminders of Death in Art. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Jen. I'm Ginny. I'm I'm Matt. Matt. And we are the Art History Babes. And we just finished watching the final presidential debate of the 2016 United States election.
3: (sighs) Probably, maybe not as bad as the second one, but it was still horrible. It was it was pretty rough.
2: It was pretty rough. It wasn't as menacing as the second one. <laughs> I know. right. more right. dialed
0: down. But still, but they well, they horrible. held it.
2: to the first thirty minutes, like thirty minutes, they held it together, and they were both yeah. very. Mm-hmm. As one of the commentators said afterwards, it looked the most like a presidential debate <laughs> of any of them God so damn it. far, oh my God. <laughs> which was good. But as we all expected, it devolved into madness pretty quickly. ISIS, <laughs> China. <laughs> Putin? I don't even know Putin.
3: Who's Putin? I have no idea. I've never heard of Putin before in my life.
2: (laughs) Don't ever say that name to me again. I was the only one who watched the whole thing, so I'm a little drunker than everybody else. Yeah, I am. I'm I'm trying to catch up. Because uh, that's uh, how you get through these things.
0: That's how you deal with uh, soul-crushing anxiety. Yeah, that and buns. Yeah,
2: we had had the Bun out here. He was providing some uh, pet therapy, which was nice.
3: Those of you who don't remember who Bun is, he is our mascot. He's the little (laughs) bunny that um, is very curious about our wine. And that's real. Um, (laughs) And he's curious about our feet, too. Yours especially. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. Yours are his favorite. He has some kind of affinity with me. I don't know (laughs) what it (laughs) is, but when, when I come over and he's just... He lines. He's like, yes, Jen. <laughs> She's here. I, like, yeah. yes. I love him. That's my winter mans. Yeah,
2: <laughs> he's Coffee a great man. Season. He's my favorite man. He's the he's he the greatest the of all the man. He's a bet. good little man. We love Ivan. Oh, bun for president, twenty sixteen.
3: I vote for him.
2: Who wouldn't? He's a precious. He's amazing.
3: Oh, he brings us world peace.
2: He, solves he would. He would really bring the people together. I he think, solves the deficit. Course. He forgives our student loans. <laughs> oh. Oh. That'd be the first thing that he would accomplish. That's the first thing
3: he would do. He'd get like, in there,
2: get rid of those yeah. student loans. He's like you
3: know what, the lady who loves me and takes care of me has
2: a lot of these, and we're just gonna. And if we get rid of them, I them. will get higher quality treats. Yeah. So we're just gonna get rid of these student loans. Bye-bye. Speaking of student loans and the amount of debt we're all in.
3: (laughs) Good transition. (laughs) Okay, so we normally give a shout out about our Patreon at the end of the episode, but I thought it would be a good idea to start out with that because we have one, patreon.com slash Babes. That's us. If you go on there, you can donate any dollar amount. You can... Do it one time. You can set up a recurring donation. We would love you for it just even more. I mean, we already love our listeners, but oh my God, if you guys help us out, (laughs) we would be so grateful for little things, little stuff like figuring out our microphone situation or, you know, more we out here, things like that, you know? Um, So we just, uh, we're really not begging but it's there and so be aware that uh, patreon.com <laughs> slash art history babes
2: shameless plug donate we love you and i hate to sound like one of those um for a cup of coffee a day type yeah <laughs> type things but if every one of our listeners donated like one dollar oh my god we'd have a lot of dollars we, we would we would be doing amazing We're in so money. if you can't donate more than one dollar that's fine like One dollar for your subscription to us is fine with us. Nine dollar. We're, yeah. We're not interested in making this content, like, we don't want to make this content for profit necessarily. Like, we don't want it, we don't want you to have to pay for subscriptions. Right. But obviously we put a lot of time into our research, into our editing. We really do. Into every element of this, and we all care about it a lot. So making some kind of revenue off of it would be amazing. So, you know, we might even get some cool
3: little sound effects. (laughs) Hamhorn never uh, oh, sponsored God. us, but <laughs> <laughs> we're
2: still trying.
3: <laughs> anyway, that's really, that's all we really wanted to
2: say. Today is the second uh, of our Halloween episodes, Whoa! and we're going to be talking about some spooky death type business.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, Specifically, and the
3: concept of Memento Mori. So, Memento Mori... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Reminders of death. <laughs> Reminders of death. Yes. So we mm-hmm. got
2: to that from talking about student loans. <laughs> Remember that you are mortal. And eventually you'll die and then you- I mean, you, don't yeah, you don't have to pay back your loans. Yeah, you don't have to pay back your loan. that's what, what I'm good. thinking on.
4: Perspective. We all will. We all die together. We all, we're all going to die
3: together.
2: <laughs> Whoa. I didn't
3: know that was the plan. <laughs> oh, yeah, not
2: together. <laughs> is this going to be like a like a Thelma and Louise type situation? Oh, I love that movie. <laughs> we'll yeah. all hold hands as we go off the
3: cliff. Yeah, all four of us will hold hands in a really we'll cool out, no, of glory, convertible,
2: yeah. wearing our pointy sunglasses and uh, bonnets. <laughs> Bonnets, it's gonna sure. be it's gonna be great just had a conversation in contempt about that though how that movie is still like super patriarchal though because in the mm. end oh yeah the good guy is like the guy running after them and right, stuff, right and it's like god damn it um, <laughs>
3: side note what Corey means by contempt is um the contemporary art <laughs> class that she tas
2: for <laughs> for those of you that don't know our hip lingo contempt contempt <laughs> all right so spooky time Ooh. all right. Uh, because it's Halloween and we all love Halloween, so Memento Mori, here we go.
0: Yeah. So we're going to go in a somewhat chronological approach tonight, which we sometimes do and many times we don't, but <laughs> um, talking about Memento Mori and how it kind of really has rooted itself within art and it has a very long tradition and what we'll get into later, more with Jen and Natalie is that it's still very much contemporary, so it's not something that's just um, confined to early periods of art. That being said, I'll talk about the early period and how it started. So the phrase memento mori originated in ancient Rome, and this started with uh, these generals in ancient Rome were coming back to Rome after Battle, glory, conquests, and they would be paraded through the streets of Rome, riding on chariots with all of their war booty. And these were called triumphs. So these generals were riding through Rome, and everyone is screaming their names and giving them compliments. And they're coming back with all of this treasure, and they're really, really glorified. And this is hard to kind of conceptualize from our perspective now, but if you think about being one of these generals especially in ancient Rome, where that position is like the one of the highest positions you can have in that society and having all of this glory and celebration for you. There was this sort of feeling that these generals would have where they were almost godlike. And they this kind of hubris, which is like, you know, that arrogance that can be very damaging as a way to counteract that they would they started placing slaves. To stand behind the generals and whisper in their ear the whole time that they went through these um, triumphal parades. And this is what they said "Respiche poste, hominem te ese momento, memento mori. Look behind you. Remember that you are a man. Remember. You will die. Whoa. Whoa! That was badass! That's yeah. some real
3: shit right there. Can I just say that I love when Ginny says stuff in Latin or Italian. <laughs>
0: Thank you. <laughs> I, like, I love when wow. you say stuff in Spanish. It's my favorite. So this is what they did. And and it's, it's crazy to think about that, that this kind of extreme measure was deemed necessary to counteract this like godlike complex that some of these generals could have. And it was said that these slaves, as they stood behind the generals and whispered this in their ear, they would uh, often be carrying, whether it be a skull or some piece of bone with them, and that they were a part of this procession from there on out. And um, so the concept of memento mori, more as we know it in terms of art, really emerged in medieval Europe. And it takes on a more religious context where it's reminding good religious Christians that they will die and to be good and to be moral and to be Christian and to prepare themselves for a good death. And this led to kind of this depiction in art of reminders of death more as a religious moral reminder of the inevitability of death. And dying well, dying with a good Christian moral soul was very important. And it's not so much something to cause fear as much as just a kind of lesson, a reminder that everything in life is fleeting, So prepare yourself for that final judgment. And by the 15th century, there were illuminated manuscripts, and a lot of them would touch on this. One of the most notable ones is called the Ars Mendi, or the Art of Dying. Oh, so cool. And we have this great (laughs) image, (laughs) this great image from from the Ars Mendi, and it's of um, a skeleton, and he's just got like this crazy smile on his face and he's you know it's not scary it's not sinister it's it's not morose like it's it's very happy and it's just like okay you read this book and you get advice and um kind of protocol for how to die well And this happy skeleton is just a kind of visual (laughs) aid to that. So when we're looking at Memento Mori art, you can see a lot of different forms starting to take shape, these symbols that are related to Memento Mori. Um, Of course, one of the most notable ones is the skeleton or the skull. You'll oftentimes see kind of a split portrait where one half of the body is, you know, full flesh, muscles, all that, the other half is a skeleton. And I have another image of a monk pendant and one half is a monk's face and the other is a skull. It's really cool. Uh, So these are some of the early like memento mori art images that we see. Later, there are more symbols that are incorporated to push this message of a reminder of death. And those can range from rotting fruit or plants, flowers, insects, basically things that show the effect of time and that nothing is going to live forever. This leads to another branch off of Memento Mori, which is called Vanitas. And Vanitas paintings became incredibly popular around the Renaissance and moving into the Baroque periods. And they not only were reminders of kind of the transient nature of life, but they commented on, you know, vanities involved in life and the need to be morally just the need to be, again, prepared for that final judgment, because it's all very Christian. And so these are where you see some more of the still lives. Um, the 17th century Dutch really killed it, no pun intended, but they did with these kind of vanitas still lives in showing Uh, scenes of banquets and knocked over hourglasses, like, oh, it's time, it's passing, (laughs) and wilting flowers, and this incredible, incredible attention to detail in a way of visually communicating the inevitability of death, of decay. And again, it's not so much something that is meant to really be terrifying, but as just a reminder. Um, I don't know why that they felt everyone needed to be reminded so much because they weren't living very long. And I feel like... (laughs) Well, to To them (laughs) too,
2: if you're talking about, you know, like either in like a Catholic tradition or a Protestant Mm -hmm. tradition or, or just according to Christian tradition the reminder it served to remind you of why you believe the things you do like true it, it's reminding you that this life is temporary yeah and that you will die and you want to be going to the right place when you die yeah so to them death in a way it's it's welcomed because that's right. that's the big payoff of right living there's of- a better
0: something better on the other side yeah yeah certainly. Yeah. So this is a lot of what we see. And, you know, some of these still lives will have a skull incorporated into them. We'll put some more of those on the website as well, or they will not have any actual like kind of body parts. And it it really varies. But a lot of this is just kind of focusing on the concept of um, I'll say another thing in Latin really quickly. Ars longa vita brevis, which is art is long, life is short, which I think is great. Don't. Yeah, I, I love know. that. Yeah,
2: that's that a good, good, that's a good quote.
0: Yeah, so uh, that's our intro into Memento Mori.
2: <laughs> great job. Um, <laughs> all right, so I'm just gonna talk about a couple of quick examples because, as Ginny mentioned, this theme is kind of everywhere it's in renaissance art it's very much in dutch vanitas like it's all over the place those still lifes that you see of like flowers look a little closer because mm-hmm. a lot of times they're wilting and the fruits are or the fruits are decaying and there's death in those still life pictures so it's not just a bowl of fruit or mm-hmm a um, floral arrangement there's an intense message behind them yeah a couple that we pulled out first we'll do our boy Hieronymus Bosch Mm. oh man such a weirdo and so great um I love this it's so good (laughs) Okay, so Death and the Miser, dated at 1485 to 1490, and it was part of a triptych. It was influenced, this painting was influenced by what was it? Book or Art Ars Mendy? Yeah. Art of Dying, yeah. Art of Dying. So that's what this image was um was influenced by. Um and this one's kind of interesting because instead of just like having you know like a dying wilting flower or a skull place somewhere it's it's kind of a narrative there's like a lot going on in this picture <laughs> so much <laughs> a <lot of> <laughs>
3: Yeah, and um, it's really adorable too. It is,
2: and it depicts the last moments in the life of a miser. It's really in it's in no way being subtle. You have these little demons, like there's a demon with a with a bag of what can probably be considered like gold or something, like hiding in fabrics, and you have kind of a juxtaposition. There's like an angel. There's these other little like rat face demon things down towards the bottom. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um but and that guy kind of looks like the fish guys out of Garden of earthly delights. Yeah, you know what I'm yeah. About, those little fishmen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I know exactly what you're talking about. So yeah, you have all these really kind of weird looking creature creatures in this in this man's bedroom. It's kind of a juxtaposition between these like demons, and then you have references to indulgence, to different indulgences like earthly indulgences, money. And then the best part, I think everyone's favorite part, is this <laughs> lovely little depiction of death. Mm. coming through the door here he's just like peeking out like hey just got that arrow hey I'm- look at that dainty little foot yeah, I know. Isn't he's just, that amazing? he's just pointing his foot out like a little ballerina, Aww. and he's peeking his head around like I'm coming for you, sir. Um, so it's basically like a message: Hey, you better repent now, Mister Miser, because death is coming for you. Regardless. Whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa, whoa! I whoa.
3: really, I really like to imagine that in this painting, the miser is. Um, in his last moments of life and he's just hallucinating. Yeah. Um, because every time I see a Bosch painting, I just feel like I'm tripping. Oh, definitely. So, I really I I want to believe that that's what this man is experiencing. Um That's
2: a little bit of a surrealist twist. Yeah, yeah I like it. I like yeah.
3: it And he's so sweet. It's a sweet dead guy. <laughs>
2: Well, he's a miser, so I don't know if he was supposed to be sweet, but... I think he's sweet. All right, fair. <laughs> um, and then another important painting by Hans Holbein the Younger, mm-hmm. who was painter to King Henry VIII. You know it. The Ambassadors from 1533. Mm. And this painting depicts uh, Jean de Danteville, um, mm-hmm. who is the French ambassador to England, and then Georges de Selve, who was also an ambassador to England, um, but I don't really know... If for more um, so two ambassadors and they were actually really young they were in like their 20s which they, good for them these guys do not look like 20 was 20s. like 40 yeah, for, like, <laughs> bold, yeah right like the one of them I think this one's 25 like, oh what? <laughs> they have the same face right like I'm not crazy
4: like, yeah, they yeah. Have the one
0: on the right's a little more doughy they're, they're I would go yeah. for the one on the left
3: personally but yeah he has more color in the face. one on the left yeah. is definitely my
2: type the one on the right <laughs> is looking a, a little washed up for my taste. Um, is it because the one on the left is just dressed better? He's got No, a- it's not. Look at his face.
3: He has better bone well, he's uh, got a little she- bit yeah, more. more yeah, a little his, more flare. Um, his cheekbones are better defined. That's true. Um, his beard game is on point. Yeah. yeah. All right, look at that hat. Look mm, at the tilt yeah. of the hat.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, the mini-
3: and the miniature bangs. <laughs> the miniature bangs. And also, his skin on the guy on the right is like gray.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he doesn't look like he's going to be around very much longer. <laughs> Sorry, Georges. Uh, the Art History Babes are voting for uh, Jean de Danteville. I um, um, love it. It's
1: my boy. So. This episode is brought to you by com.
2: Um, So this is a portrait of these two ambassadors to England, and it's also just full of various objects. There are shelves directly behind these men that the men are leaning on, and the top shelf is covered in all types of objects that kind of represent um, the heavens and, like the stars and and higher things you've got like a globe and you've got basically different almost like scientific instruments for 16th century astronomy basically so the top shelf is representing these ideas of like higher things and then the bottom shelf is you've got um a lute and you've got a book and it's supposed to represent more like earthly things mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. of the world For sure. but what is i mean there's there's a lot of interesting things about this painting but what is most compelling what we all remember <laughs> about this painting <laughs> is right in the middle there is this crazy ass like distorted image of a of a skull Like, right in the middle on the floor of this image. And in one thing I read, it even mentioned how how some people, when they first look at it, think of it as just a piece of, it looks like a piece of driftwood that just doesn't belong. I've got a great a great angle from way over here. Oh I yeah, can see it, like, perfectly. <laughs> and it does at first glance if you if you think about it that way, it kind of looks like a log. Um but it's actually this distorted skull. And what is interesting about this skull is that uh Hans Holbein the Younger was dealing with some really intense illusionistic tactics here. If you're looking at the painting straight on, you see the ambassadors very clearly. You see all these other objects very clearly. But the skull, well, you can make out that it's a skull. It's at this distorted angle that you don't quite understand. However, if you move to the right angle of the painting and kind of like squat down more towards like the lower right angle, or if you look at the image in a mirror and you kind of tilt it, you can see the skull fully. It expands, and basically the perspective changes, which is crazy. That used to blow my mind. It still does. When I first saw saw
3: this, I think I must have been, like, 14. I was in high school, and I was just taking, like, an art class. And it was, like, a book, and I was looking at it. And then my art teacher was like, tilt the book. (laughs) tilted. And I was like, what? And then I did. And I felt like little explosions in my head. Yeah, it it's a favorite. So
2: cool. It's a favorite trick of pretty much all art history professors in those like, survey courses. Oh, you think we're just learning about, you know, boring 16th century stuff? Well, I got something crazy for you. And so basically, yeah, 1533. This is a use of like, really revolutionary visual effects, like perspective that is way ahead of its time. Um, So obviously we'll post this, but you need to check it out. But what is also interesting in terms of the Memento Mori aspect of all this is that you, in looking at this painting, you literally, like, you have to choose between seeing the image. um, You have to choose between seeing the expression of earthly reality being these ambassadors and these objects that represent life at that time. You choose between seeing that Reality or co- that concept of reality, or you get to see something supernatural, which is represented by this skull at this interesting perspective. So you essentially have to choose between life and death, which is crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy.
3: (laughs) Man, this paint, I trip out on this painting. There's so many, there's so many details. I mean, just besides the Memento Mori, like, aspect, like, just look at his, like, fine coat, his decked out silk sleeves and the the
2: tapestry in the back it's just and this is like a really good was amazing. A shit. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing and it's to amazing. go back to what we were talking about with the relation between memento mori and christian mm-hmm. belief up in the left hand corner You've got a little statue of oh. um, Jesus on the crucifix. Oh. What oh. sneaking through there? So you can see it at the same time you
4: see the skull. I never exactly. noticed that. I never so noticed that. If you
2: look at the skull, if you go to the lower right angle of the painting and you look up at the skull, um, you can your um Face him. Yeah, you're facing, you're focusing, your focal point. That's what your focal point will be guided towards. This image of Christ, which is like, "Hey, death is coming for all of us, Mm -hmm. even the Son of God." (laughs) Holby, and so live your life right. It's out of control. Yeah. So, wow! Such a cool painting.
0: So yeah. Yeah. everyone should look at this. Pull it up on your computer, and then go down to the <laughs> right side and look back at your computer. Look at it's it so right cool. now. It is very yeah. Right
3: now, you need to look it up. You're being instructed
2: by us. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is. It's a very. It's a very interesting painting for like a ton of reasons. So yeah, that's a fantastic example of memento mori, more in the Renaissance time frame. Another just quick thing I want to give a shout out to. Is the Puritans. Oh the Puritans. Uh, Oh, thank you, Puritans. (laughs) Oh, the Puritans. I remember when you and I were watching that movie The Witch. Oh god. (laughs) If you like spooky Puritan things, really interesting movie, you should watch that movie. It's dope and scary. Yeah, Um, yeah. But like we were talking about how like being like a Puritan and like colonial like America sounds like literally the worst existence.
0: It sounds like hell. (laughs) They were so worried about hell, but they were already in it.
2: Terrible. I, oh, terrible. Uh, um, anyways, great spooky movie for the spooky season. Go watch it. But anyways, the Puritans, they, uh, probably not a surprise, they weren't really into art. Um, <laughs> wait. <laughs> what? <laughs> to them, it was uh, superfluous and just it unnecessary. Gave yeah. It, it gave them pleasure, and which he, is not okay. You can't have any of that. So they weren't really into it, but they did allow self-portraits as that was, that counted as historical record. So you could do portraits of people because it was a historical record. Um, So what you have in terms of Puritan art history is basically a lot of portraits of dudes with like skulls in them. Like that was basically what happened because it was like, all right, we're going to we're going to make this portrait as the historical record of this dude. But we also are Puritan and life is horrible and we're living for the fact that we will die and go to heaven. So we need to remind everyone of that all the time. Uh. Um. So so Puritan art pretty much summed up right there. Memento <laughs> mori, just like never forget it. Don't forget it for one second. Like, oh my God. You are going to die. Honestly, a lot of Puritans were probably welcome to that.
0: You know, seriously, can't blame them.
2: Yeah, it makes God. me
3: feel kind of comforted to know that I'm gonna die one day. Not not because I'm like horribly depressed or anything, but just you know because um life can just suck sometimes <laughs> so maybe for the Puritans their lives were just so dry and repressed that the idea of death was like probably really exciting like ooh. well that's literally
2: like what they were living for like living to be done living oh oh man so sad well the art history babes
0: we uh we live to live we're living right now we here living you know a lot <laughs> of, like the right last there. I don't
3: know a couple hours <laughs> Um, uh, I was us just, in our heathen ways. <laughs> wow. No, you know what? I was really thinking about this the other day. Um, someone asked me, they said, you know, what's, you got to have a philosophy for your life. Mm-hmm. What do you think that it is? And I was like, what? That's a weird question. So that's a heavy question. Don't ask me that, bro. Like, don't, <laughs> don't come at me with those kinds of questions. But then I was thinking about it. And I honestly think that um, hedonism is for me. <laughs> I think if I gotta give it an ism, an ism, on, oh an ism. <laughs> I'm and gonna go. There with are them. worse
0: isms out there, there for
3: are. sure. I'm gonna go with hedonism, you guys. Hedonism. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is so off topic. Did you guys know? That, were we all together when I was talking about hedonism too? Hedonism yes. 2. Yeah, yeah, oh that. boy.
4: I don't think I was there.
3: Okay, Hedonism
4: 2, you guys. <laughs> Tell me and the viewers.
3: <laughs> so, for those of you that may not know, um, there's a place in Jamaica called Hedonism 2. And it is a what resort. To
0: Hedonism 1? Yeah, <laughs> That's a really good my thought. Exactly. Where's Hedonism 1? <laughs> uh, I don't want to
3: talk about it. That's literally <laughs> it the first thing that I thought of when I saw Hedonism 2. But. um <laughs> canonism <laughs> too it's a it's an all nude resort in um in Jamaica well clothing optional um resort but it sounds really fun it's so basically I, all nude I want go I'm
2: fine with that as a general life philosophy like doesn't mean you have to be naked but I think people should have the option of being naked if it's they want to be it's clothing optional
3: naked. like you know you can wear your clothes if you want to but if you don't want to then just you know take that shit off and the Germans like, are
4: into
3: that yeah. oh, oh girl a lot of places in Germany the Greeks are into that when I went to
0: Greece all the beaches Were nude beaches. Many places are far less modest than Americans. (laughs) But we're weirdly not. It's it's a very we're so we have that dual existence. I blame it on the Puritans. Puritan, uh, the, the, oh the my god the Puritan. You, <laughs> yeah.
3: you may be on to something Because yeah. if
0: you know um, well, look, Other countries still call it like say that we have Like puritanical um, yeah. values As We do in some, some ways, In many ways we do One of my yeah. best
3: friends lives out in Boston And he says that all the time He's like yeah it's just you know it's really puritanical out here And he loves it when me and my friend Go visit because we're from California apparently California is just So like out there and we're We're all crazy over here. (laughs) So when we go there, he's like, God, I'm so glad you guys are here. Like, a lot of my friends are so Puritan. And I was like, whoa. And I was thinking (laughs) about it because, (gasps) well, you know, what I was thinking about is that the Puritans were not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Alright, just a couple of hundred yeah. couple hundred years. And then I think of the history of like places like ancient Greece where, you know, two thousand years ago they were having Bacchanals. Mm-hmm. So it makes perfect sense to me that they are getting naked over there
2: all the, time. <laughs> all the time. But no, like the the California being like I don't think it's that we have like there's a reputation of us being crazy, but it's that it's <laughs> that West Coast, like we're just chill with things. Chill. So it's like Everything goes, you know. Like, do your thing. Like that yeah. is a lot more accepted. I feel like on the West Coast yeah. than elsewhere yeah. in the country. I don't want to like totally derail
3: this podcast, but I was just <laughs> thinking about how I was just at Folsom Street Fair oh, yeah. a couple weeks ago, and and some of my friends were like, "What's Folsom Street Fair all about?" I've never been. And I said, "Well, sit right down, <laughs> partner. I'm about to tell you a great story. Basically, it's just like a lot of like naked people doing all kinds of sexual stuff out on the street. And you know, that just is such a California, San Francisco thing. Mm-hmm. And um, moral of the story: the Puritans were wrong, and <laughs> hedonism is good. So let's just stay. <laughs> we
2: want to say wrong. They were wrong." <laughs> people have other beliefs it's okay <laughs> but M- my beliefs we, is wrong. <laughs> we do lead we, we lean a little hedonistic over here we'll, we'll yeah and it. sorry
3: for all of you who are listening and are like what does this have to do with memento mori this we is what lost it, all of our peers no mirrors. no you know what it has a lot to do with memento mori because you should remember that you're gonna die so you better live it up yeah <laughs> Boom, brought it back. (laughs) Full
4: circle.
2: (laughs) For real. Mm -hmm. Um, So do you want to talk a little bit about sugar skulls? Yeah, so my first thoughts went
3: to this sort of um, obsession that I've seen over the last, I don't know, like 10 or 15 years here in the United States, especially in, like, you know, you go to a store and <laughs> it seems like you can go anywhere and buy something of a sugar skull on it. And especially right now around Halloween, Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's. They're selling
4: cute little sugar skulls with air plants in them. <gasps> I have to say, I, I did a double take. Wait, <laughs>
3: wait,
0: airplanes?
3: Air plants.
4: Oh,
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh,
3: that's. I'm wow. glad ask, I asked.
0: I was not sure. What that I've never meant. seen that before. At Trader Joe's, no less. Yeah.
3: Interesting. That's cute. Apparently, the sugar skull iconography is popular. And so, just for those of you who maybe have never seen a sugar skull, it's, um, it's a skull. And there are um, floral... I don't know why they're cracking so much right now, but there are floral elements on this sugar skull, usually around the eyes, like near the mouth. Like, there's a lot of intricate little decoration. It's usually made out of sugar, hence the name sugar skull. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, So we don't really... A lot of people who buy their iPhone cover and it's got a sugar skull on it. And they're like, yes, this is so cool. Have no idea what it even is about. So I thought it'd be good to talk a little bit about this history of skulls in the Mexican iconography. Well, starting really back with the Aztecs as usual, most of what we see (laughs) in modern day Mexico (laughs) is hearkening back to the days of the Mesoamerican civilizations. So most of us who have seen sugar skulls are aware of the relationship between them and the Day of the Dead, Dia de los Muertos, in Spanish, which means Day of the Dead. (laughs) And um, so Dia de los Muertos is celebrated in uh, mostly central and south Mexico. So this is interesting because northern Mexico didn't, really celebrate this festival until around like the beginning of the 20th century. Whereas in central and southern Mexico, this festival to the dead goes all the way back to Mesoamerican Aztec culture and also other cultures. So when I talk about the Aztecs, they were just one tribe of hundreds that were in the region. So it wasn't just the Aztecs that had festivals worshiping the dead. So, for many, I want to even say, like, probably, like, millennia. I mean, we don't know a lot about what these Mesoamerican cultures were doing before somewhere around, like, 500, 500 A.D. Are we saying A.D.? C.E.? Common Era? I don't
2: know. There's this whole debate about which one to (laughs) use. common, like, because A.D. and B.C. is, like, Christian-based. Right, right. So... If so you um, want to be
3: politically uh, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you <laughs> guys know what I mean, okay? After a a stick <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm
3: Yeah. <laughs> Common era. Um
2: So, why it, did they even switch over? We should have just kept going.
0: I know. Well,
2: okay,
3: before Christ and then someone decided year 0. <laughs> and then everything <laughs> after that was AD, which is honest dominie. Yeah. Yeah. The year
0: of our lord. I thought, I, I for remember. years, I thought it was after death. Yeah. Most uh, people think that. Because,
2: like, I remember being told that, like, in school. Like, yeah. that's, like, that oh, was, like. teacher just
4: didn't know, and she was, like, after death. That was, like, yeah. well, I went
2: to Catholic school. Like, that was a thing too. I was taught. Yeah. Like,
3: <laughs> after the death of Christ. Yeah. Which makes sense. But AD stands for the Latin um, words, "honest Domini. We don't know a whole lot about the um, Aztec and other Mesoamerican cultures and their beliefs before around 500 AD. So um, the goddess, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, Mite Kassiwa. That's probably pretty, pretty close. The queen of the underworld.
2: Dude. The
3: lady of so the is dead.
2: That, is that like Persephone?
3: <gasps> I don't know. No, uh-huh. no. I don't think so because Persephone got snatched by Hades. I know, but
2: she became the queen of the underworld. She did, but I think that...
3: Um, I think that Did Meek, she choose this life? I think Meek the Gussy Wall <laughs> was somewhat autonomous. She had a husband that she ruled with, so we do see some similarities yeah, between yeah. Persephone and Hades. But this was the Lady of the Dead. That name that I just said is a Nahuatl word. Nahuatl is the language that the Aztecs spoke and wrote and and read.
2: Um, so their language. It was their language. Thank you, Corey. Anyway,
3: so the um, the festival for this goddess of the dead was to worship the dead. She was literally the holder of bones is what her name translates to. And so the ancient Aztec peoples would have celebrated this festival in the ninth month of the year, um, which we're roughly translating to around August. Um, So it would have been a month long festivity of, Worshipping the dead, we're pretty sure there was a lot of cool sacrifices happening to prisoners of war. That's just how the Aztecs got down, it's part of their whole deal. So, this festival translates then into what is our modern day Day of the Dead, which is celebrated on the weekend. Um, Usually, it's around the weekend, but um, the dates roughly correspond to October 31st to November 2nd. So, November 2nd is really like the big day of Day of the Dead in Mexico. And um, it roughly coincides as well with the Western um, Western Christian All Hollows Tides, which is essentially All Saints' Eve, All Saints' Day, and All Souls' Day. So there is this sort of like effort to, to coincide these mm-hmm. festivals. And that harkens back to this whole history of colonialism in Mexico, which is like a whole nother podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're not gonna get into that. But during these festivities, the, the peoples go to the cemeteries, um, they find the tombstones of their deceased relatives, and they bring them ofrendas, which are just offerings. And the offerings are usually things like sugar skulls, marigolds, the favorite food or beverages of the departed so I've engaged in this festival before, you know, and you go to your grandpa's tomb and you bring him the tequila that he used to love and some tamales and like, yo, you know, here's like some tacos and you really do just bring food and the stuff that he used to love. And, and you leave um, possessions behind, like, yo, I remember this was like your favorite belt buckle. Here you go. And people are very respectful. You don't, No one steals, like, the the ofrendas and, and, you know, unless you're, like, a piece of shit. But, you know, usually you don't do that. So it's, like, a really cool festival. And that's really where we get this Sugar Skull iconography that we're seeing today. But also the artist or lithographer is like a better word for him. Um, Jose Guadalupe Posada is one of the most famous artists who developed this like modern skull image that we see today. These skulls are called calaveras, which is essentially translates to skeleton or human skull. So He came into the scene around 1890 in Mexico, shows up to Mexico City. He was born in Aguascalientes, which is um, like a central Mexican, northern to central Mexican locale, and starts to work with this man who owned a printing press named Miguel Arroya. And Arroya was working for the dictator Porfirio Diaz. Porfirio Diaz, dictator, no one liked him. Times sucked. And this era of Mexico is characterized by a huge disparity between the rich and the poor. So Bolsada starts to do these really interesting prints, these engravings, um, usually in lead, that would then be printed on a mass scale and sent out as like newspapers. So he starts to do these really fun images of skulls and skeletons that are engaging in everyday festivities. So we see Calaveras dancing, um, there's a really fun one called Artistas Purgatorios, which is artists in purgatory, and there's just <laughs> these really like awesome skeletons getting down on some stand-up bass and guitar and they're <laughs> just they're just partying the most famous one that we know is called la calavera catrina her name is not catrina a catrin is like a dandy oh okay oh. so like a like a rich sort of like sure.
2: a well a, a well-to-do
3: yeah. person so female equivalent because spanish is a gendered language would be a catrina so we see mm. this um, skeleton woman with her big hat, and there's big feathers on it. It's a very fine hat. And so she's shown in all of the decorum of the Mexican elite class. But she's a skeleton, and so what we're really getting from this image is that you may have all these riches in life, but ultimately you will die and you will rot. And um, <laughs> I just think it's really great. Um, and so from that image of La Catrina, that's where we get most of our modern day sort of Mexican Calavera imagery. And it's lasted for a few hundred years. So We still see in Mexico City on Day of the Dead, the people will have Calavera Catrina contests where women will dress up and and do their whole skull makeup and and just try to be like the most awesome looking calavera catrina and they get really into it and fine clothing and hats and it's so fun. I mean if anyone is listening and you're ever in Mexico City around the time of Day of the Dead, go to the festivals, go to Coyoacan, where a lot of the big festivals are happening in Mexico City. It's so fun. Skulls everywhere, skeletons everywhere. Really good tequila. It's it's a great time. That's really all that I wanted to say about Posada. And we can maybe talk about Posada more later. Because Posada ends up being one of the most influential early 20th century Artists that would inspire people like Frida Kahlo, Diego Rivera, and the other very famous um, Mexican muralists
4: for another time. So we're uh, moving right up to the 20th, 21st century. Woo! Um, because death,
2: it's and we not, still we still haven't escaped it. It's still <laughs> still a thing. It lived we're on past with. the
4: Puritans. <laughs>
2: don't you worry so kind
4: of moving back to the western angle i'm gonna talk to you guys about my boy damien hurst so he is a british artist he was born in 1965 he was part of the yba group so young british artists they were really big in the 90s when he was in it he deals with death a lot in pretty much all of his works i could probably talk about every single one of his works in terms of memento mori so i'm going to just read a quote to start so in an interview the interviewer asked him when did death become the preoccupation it obviously is seeing people as disintegrating and decomposing even when they're well and alive first (laughs) responds, it sounds really pessimistic i think i've got an obsession with death But I think it's like a celebration of life rather than something morbid. You can't have one without the other. I read something the other day that Mark Allman had written about Jacques Brel or maybe Scott Walker, and it said that you listen to him and he's got this obsession with death. But every time it's like a really complete celebration of life. I mean, I don't think death really exists in life. I think that the only thing that exists is an obsession with it. And an obsession with death is a celebration of life. It's that kind of looking for it, and you can't find it. I always want to slap myself on the head and go, hang on a minute, you're dying. Don't go get smug. It's unavoidable. So. Uh, dope. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's. Don't it's, get smug. Don't do don't it. Don't get <laughs> smug. It's it's the modern day memento mori. And this is a far cry from the puritanical ideology because Damien Hirst I don't think he's a proclaimed hedonist, but he might be. Yeah. (laughs) He's right right in line with that. He fits the mold
2: a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, he he is. He's one of the highest earning contemporary artists. Oh, yeah. He's. Like number two, I think. He's got a corner on the art market. Yeah, Yeah,
4: and I mean, you guys will definitely get an idea of this when I start talking about his art. It's not simple painting. We'll just start there. (laughs) But um, yeah, I mean, this is a guy who is open about his experience with Drugs, alcohol, you know, the hedonistic type yeah. of things And And he's, he's, he's out to get money. He wants yeah. to make money on he's his He's not heart, shy about it. Which, you know, yeah. do it, boy. We, we, could, <laughs> we could do an episode on the art market and then we'll talk about Damien yeah. and his whole involvement. But That would yeah. be a good episode. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot to say. He He's a smart man. He's a smart man, whether you like him or not. So I'm going to start... What, which one should I start on? <laughs> it's like there's no like building up to like the shock factor because they're all just so crazy.
2: Do you have the butterfly one? That's one of my favorite ones. Which one? The room? Um, no, not the room. Just the one it's with like it. the yeah. it's like a mandala almost yep. of like butterfly wings. I do. It's really pleasant, and I know I know it's, it's because they're
4: real dead
2: butterflies. I know, but it's beautiful. No, I agree. I love. <laughs> I know what you're
4: talking about. I almost bought a magnet with it on it. Actually, yeah, it's
2: gorgeous. And then you stop and you're like, oh, those are real butterflies. Yeah, and it's
4: kind of
0: disgusting. All butterflies die. <laughs> actually, <laughs> I <know>. even butterflies <laughs> die. Everyone,
4: <laughs> and that's like one of the things he really plays with is this juxtaposition of something beautiful and delicate and then just being like but death (laughs) death is unavoidable and
2: what's interesting about that though is it also has this nuance of like but death is kind of beautiful too you know
4: yeah so we'll start and now I know
2: where I should start
4: (laughs) so there's a photograph in 1991 (laughs) and it's literally titled with dead (laughs) head (laughs) <laughs> it's not oh, what you may think of God. as a dead head. it is a literal dead head a severed head and it's been like soaking in some juices so it's not like <laughs> it doesn't look like a regular head. it's swollen and disfigured and pretty grotesque which you know isn't the craziest part of the picture. It's that Damien Hurst is posing next to it laughing. <laughs> Just like <laughs>
0: completely he, jovial. Like, he is
4: tickled to yeah. be
0: next to that <laughs> yeah. dead head. That corpse kind of looks like Al Capone. <laughs> but like even more
4: like We'll post a picture for you guys, and, but I think Jenny's got her got it yeah. something there. Oh man. Yeah, it's so this this infatuation <laughs> with death is something that he really has had far before some of his more well-known works. Next, we'll look at The Physical Impossibility of Death in the Mind of Someone Living. Yeah, I got that right without reading it. Damn. Yeah, yeah. Just, Damn. I mean, you don't even need to know about the work. Just think about that title. Yeah, I mean, his like his semiotics are insane. Like He puts so much thought into all of his titles. And if you ever want to be entertained, just look through all of them. So he does spot paintings, which are just very geometric paintings. They're just white walls or canvases with Perfectly spaced spots, all the same, and they're very mathematical and they're all different colors. So, every spot, no matter how many, some of them have hundreds of spots, they're everyone is a different color. Kind of, it sounds almost dull, but like the titles sometimes are just crazy, and you're like, What, how? Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) titles. Okay, so, but back to this work the physical impossibility of death in the mind of someone living is a 14 foot tiger shark suspended Oof. in <laughs> um <long>. suspended <laughs> in a formaldehyde filled vitrine so a big Damn. glass box essentially and he does a lot of formaldehyde oh, animals oh yeah definitely um there's the golden calf there's there's a bunch of them and they all kind of have this same relation to death because they are actual animals that are preserved in these enormous vitrines but this one in particular but I think the title and just the kind of like intensity of the shark and the fact that it's so big and it's something that I don't I personally have a very strong (laughs) fear of sharks (laughs) so like to really get that close to a 14 foot shark and I mean it's it's posed of course you know it's got the mouth wide open and it's all like arched So you can walk all the way around it. You can see it from all angles. And it's very aggressive looking. And I actually have another quote from Hearst here about that one. So um, it was done for the Saatchi Gallery in particular. And he said, The physical impossibility of death in the mind of someone living. That's a title from a long time ago. That was the first piece I made. It was a line from an essay I was writing, actually. It was an essay about Robert Longo, I just wrote it about the physical impossibility of death in the mind of someone living. This is my favorite part. And the kind of way (laughs) it went bubba-da-bubba-da-bubba-da, you know, kind of poetically. And the clumsy (gasps) BS and PS in it and how it tried to explain something that wasn't there or was there. I just really liked it. It really stuck in my mind, and I'd always wanted to do work with sharks. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Wow. Why not? Yeah. yeah. Like something in the back of his
3: mind. I've always wanted
4: to work with sharks. <laughs> and then he kind of redeems himself because he goes on to say, I've always seen sharks as horror, and then I worked out that I could actually get a shark into a gallery because I didn't want to paint one, and I didn't want to have, like, a really beautiful chibachrome? chrome. Where is it? You know that word, just like it's Italian, chiba Yeah, I don't know. That's probably wrong. I have no idea. Light box or a photograph. And then I thought, well, if I can get one in a big enough space, actually in liquid, big enough to frighten you, then you'd feel you were there with it, feel it could eat you, it would work. So he's trying to evoke that sense of fear that would make someone think about death because he has this. I mean, he said it in that earlier quote, he's bringing it up again now, that he doesn't think that death exists amongst living. He thinks that you can only obsess over death or the idea of it, Mm -hmm. but that death itself isn't something that we know
2: or could ever grasp.
4: Exactly. So this is his attempt at trying to evoke that feeling, whether or not you think it's successful or even a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) no <laughs> <laughs> that's up to you but the concept's interesting the title's interesting, interesting and it's just a kind of striking thing to look at it's, yeah
2: for real it's kind of crazy and it, it is it's crazy it's intense it makes me feel things it's pretty beautiful
4: yeah. <laughs> we got, we got different angles i mean this this t- 14 feet you guys that's big that,
3: <laughs> yes you know what's really interesting though is like um yes this is memento mori we're seeing this dead creature immortalized in this formaldehyde. Were you going to talk about this? But um, how some of his works were leaking like noxious fumes and people were breathing them in. So Damien Hirst, his art could also kill you. Um, but he's uh, great Great artist and we love him. True, <laughs> he's probably not happy about that.
2: He'd probably be like, "Damn it!" I don't think that was intentional. Shut up, oh, Jennifer. Not. yeah, Jennifer,
4: shut up. <laughs> he probably has a very intense team of lawyers, so we should probably <laughs>
2: stop
3: talking about this. Oh shit! <laughs> Let it out. Uh, we
4: were just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Damien, come on our podcast. <laughs>
2: oh my god, that'd be amazing.
4: Oh. Oh. I feel like he'd just steamroll all of us. That's fine. I'm, I would just I'm cool here, with that. Yeah, I'm okay, okay with this. Yeah. Steamroll! <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. So next crazy Damien Hurst work. So in 2007, he created For the Love of God, <laughs> which is a god, the- platinum cast Skull. So he took an actual human skull, cast it, made a thirty-two piece skull out of platinum plates. And if that's not crazy enough, he then encrusted it with diamonds. And when I say encrusted it with diamonds, he used eight thousand six hundred and one VVS to flawless pave set diamonds. Oh,
3: that he
4: (laughs) that he checked to make sure they were up to par, and that adds up to 1, 1,106.18 carats of diamonds.
2: Dude, I'm just in awe of how fucking smart this is. It's <laughs> like, beautiful. Like, the title is amazing. And do you guys the know where the title comes from? The is amazing. It's so good. Where does the title <laughs> come from?
4: So it comes from his mother. Oh, <laughs> Because she would say that in, like, reference to what are you going to do next? So she would say, for the love of God, what are you going to do next? And not only did we have the platinum and the flawless diamonds, but that skull that I was talking about that was an actual human skull he casted, he used the original teeth from that skull in the sculpture. So the original human teeth are there. And it is a real skull from, it's been dated to seventeen. 20 to 1810, supposedly around 35-year-old male. Um, wow, that is so yeah. cool. I wonder can
2: we who can, he was.
4: I know, right? I want to know, can, like, about him. Yeah, we don't know. He got him, He got him. I think, from some sort of, like, auction, like a, um,
2: I swear. <laughs> a human
4: skull. No, well, obviously. Black market Like often. a contemporary, yeah, I don't know, they reference it, so it can't be too black market.
2: I'm, like, I'm really kind of entranced by this, this whole, this image and this title, going back to really everything we've been talking about in this podcast, because, like, the skull is the primary yeah. iconography of Memento Mori. Oh, yeah. Like, the yeah. skull is your number one Memento Mori symbol. Yeah. And we've been talking about the connection between Memento Mori and Christian tradition. Yeah. So, the title, like, For the Love of God. Wow. Is actually... Wow. We didn't even plan this. <laughs> that so good. Yeah. That's you know, actually that says a lot of things. Yeah, yeah I, mean. I wanted
3: to say something about the actual skull iconography and I think that and I'm just pulling this out of my ass you guys, but honestly, I mean, we're also fixated on like faces and facial recognition and I think that something about seeing a human skull, no eyes, no nose, no skin, this idea of like what we all look like beneath like our superficial facade, I think is just really interesting and I think that that's really where this obsession with the skull comes from mm-hmm. is how underneath all of our like visual trappings of, of under you under know, our, our meat sack under our <laughs> meat sack we all look more or less the same and yeah. i think that that is so cool I love the I love this Damien Hirst piece. It's beautiful. Yeah. Juxtapositions crazy. Oh, it's so good. It's so just, fucking smart. You know what? It's really making me think about my dad. My dad was having a conversation with me the other day, and he said, "Jen, when I die, I want you to keep my skull." And I said, <laughs> "Dad, I don't know how to do that, but I'll try to figure it out." So I need to figure out how to <laughs> give it to you. <laughs> He wants me to keep his skull. So
4: oh. if anyone out there knows how to think go about. I contact Damien because if wow. anyone knows how to do
3: it, it's him. He would know. He would know. Well, I'm going to do that. <laughs> but but if anyone out there is listening and just happens to have any idea about how you can keep a skull, I need to figure that out. My dad. I think if he put it in his will, then it's yours. Yeah, like it's just it's his call. My dad is sixty seven. I think he still has a, a lot of years. For sure. He's a he's a he's a kick, he's kicking. He's par- yeah. he
2: parties. He, he's just he takes you to Santana concerts oh my god we had
3: so much fun um we're just kicking it all the time and he's he's very much alive so I'm not worried about this happening anytime soon but I do want to figure out how to um, keep his school. keep his school. <laughs>
4: I've got to keep
3: his school.
0: babes <laughs> at gmail.com. Let yeah, us you know. Keep okay, it but keep
4: Nat,
2: it do you want to continue on Damon Hurst? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Okay. sorry. No, it's,
4: no, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> all good. So I just, another Hearst quote. This goes along with him having the market unlock. He also knows how to talk about his art. So this is from the website, and it says, For the love of God acts as a reminder that our existence on Earth is transient. Hearst combined the imagery of classic memento mori Eh? Mm-hmm. With Ew. inspiration drawn from Aztec skulls and the Mexican love for decoration and yes. attitude towards death, oh Go. my god, tying it all together. He explains of death: you don't like it, so you <laughs> disguise it or you decorate it to make it look like something bearable. <gasps> to such an extent that it becomes something else. That's
2: like the oh. sugar skull. Whoa! We just wrapped it all up. We're just gonna. So. We're just gonna back off on that because that was amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> fire, I mean fire. That's fire. First I figured
4: it out, guys, and like. This this skull was actually in Florence when I was there in 2011. Did you see it in person? In Palazzo Vecchio. (gasps) They had it. It's
2: fucking crazy. And I didn't understand the
4: context. I didn't know anything because I was young and dumb.
2: But (laughs) Damien! Come on, podcast. I saw so many important works when I was young and dumb. And I was just like, oh, this is cool. And I couldn't. Fully appreciate it, yeah.
4: But um, but I it was burnt into my memory, so I had no idea who Damien Hurst was. I had no context, but like you do not forget a skull covered in diamonds, you just don't. True. Um, and I mean, it, it's kind of repetitive, so I won't go into it too much. But he created another work called For Heaven's Sake a few years later, and it was actually an infant skull he acquired it in the same oh. yeah so it's the same thing uh, Platinum's casted skull no teeth this time <laughs> infant um oh that made That's me true. really sad <laughs> it was old. It was less than a year old I know it's sad but babies die too memento mori for baby yeah yeah um, yeah, yeah yeah SIDS
3: a- is a thing <laughs> I don't know what the baby died of but oh I mean okay <laughs> sorry God, but I wouldn't even know what to do with a baby <laughs> It's kind of it's a little <laughs> it's like creepy hard looking. to even put them to bed. Like yeah, yeah it's scary. Anyway, oh, oh, whoa. Shit. It's very weird looking. Wow, no, that is scary looking. Baby skulls are oh, a lot scary. No, that looks like, like an alien. Well, it's because yeah. they're
2: disproportionate. Yeah. Their heads are so much bigger. That's
3: terrifying.
4: Yeah. Yeah, that's
3: interesting. Wow. No, I'm like disturbed right now. I I kind of
4: wish I hadn't seen this. Yeah, so that was 2007, So a year <laughs> later he made for heaven's sake. Um, oh, for heaven's sake. Yeah. Um. So 7,105. Oh, oh, no, just kidding. 8,128 perfect diamonds and 7,105, which are natural fancy pink. I didn't even Ooh. know they made natural fancy pink Whoa. diamonds, but they do. <laughs> oh, yeah, they do. fancy
0: pink. Fancy <laughs>
4: pink. So, um, yeah, Damien Hirst basically wins Memento Mori. That's,
2: that's his vibe. Yeah, at least for the
4: 21st century. He, he, his infatuation with death has paid off. Well,
2: I mean, from a theoretical perspective, like, death, if you, if you want to be interesting, like, go after death. Like, no one understands it. It's the most
4: universal human thing. Yeah, it's the only thing we
2: have in common, and it's the only thing no one has ever experienced. Like, you can get, it's pretty interesting. And very interesting.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, like, I don't, I feel like this idea of like death and we're all going to die. And like, I I feel like almost nihilism is becoming this um, sort of like pop culture, like meme, meme making um, concept. Uh, I don't know if anyone else has noticed this just on like, Instagram and stuff like that, these, like, nihilist memes, Mm -hmm. like, pages like that, which they're funny, right? They're all about, like, oh, you know, the inevitable void of death, (laughs) and, um, but that's for our meme episode, which hopefully happens soon. For sure.
2: Um, but But the But the interesting thing about this artwork and, like, artwork surrounding death is, in my personal opinion. I don't think Damon Hurst's work is nihilistic. I think it's very interesting. Not and like, all of
4: it. I think he is
2: very nihilistic. Yeah, no, I think but he,
4: yeah, I don't think his work...
2: I think it expresses a whole multitude of ideas about death. And I think you can go a lot of different directions about, with it. Sure. And I think... I don't think there's anything inherently nihilistic about death. I think it's yeah, just Yeah, definitely like, not. It's, it's just a really... I don't know, it's fascinating. Think about it, it a is.
0: lot. It's just an interesting thing. I think the only general comment we can make on it is, art is long, life is short.
3: Yeah. Boom, (laughs) (laughs) boom. Boom. That was really the best quote. Yeah, central
2: quote of the episode. All right, so we're going to do some quick listener listener mails. First one here. We've got quite a few of them. We've kind of gotten behind on listener mail. I'm sorry, Mm. guys. Sorry. Um, Okay, so we've got one from Elise here let's see i love that you treat uh the information you discuss like it's as exciting and fascinating and fascinating as it actually is i laugh and cry i nod my head and snap my fingers through each podcast oh Dope. Whoa, that's um, so cool um, <laughs>
3: thank you
2: it com it comforts me to be reminded that showing passion when presenting the things you like is good. You babes do this. It's the awesomest. You're the awesomest. You're the awesomest. Um, And the information you give is great. It keeps the research nerd that is me happy and full of new things to cross-reference. Please keep having fun and best of luck in surviving grad school. Mm. Let me know when you go on tour. (gasps) Which would be amazing. What? And we totally want to do that. Can we go on tour? <laughs> I haven't even thought about that. That's a thing podcasts do. They, that's wow, Yeah. That's a real thing. So we maybe will eventually. someday, fingers crossed.
3: <laughs> if you donate to our Patreon, <laughs> we might be able to go on tour. For
2: real, though. Um, Coming to
3: a town here. You, you no, look.
2: literally, like, it's something I think is maybe a goal for, you know, post-finishing grad school, post-thesis. Maybe we can oh, do to a. rent a bus. Yeah, we Sounds can. Sounds like a great time. <laughs> Wow! did a little mini tour. Um, but anyways, uh, P.S. Frida Kahlo is the she is. Dig the episode about her. Here's me rocking a unibrow last year oh my for God. a Click theme party. Click on it. It's wow. A, oh, so cool. a, babe. a babe. You are a precious person. A <laughs> that's a babe. Oh,
4: my God. Wait, how did you that... – and that's perfect Ooh, wow yeah it's
2: fantastic wow babe
0: you the look lighting. so hot like what did you do with the lighting because you look like a literal, literal painting and this is
2: like embroidery
0: here beautiful and like, it's amazing beautiful
2: so elise brava brava elise awesome listener rocking the free to look yeah from oh, wow.
3: four art history babes to one awesome babe you are looking fierce keep it up rock the unibrow
2: you're amazing we yes. love it. Um, and then second listener mail. Someone wanna read this one from Sarah. Love, love, love your podcast. No, there's four loves. Oh, oh.
4: <laughs> love, 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 love <laughs> your podcast. Don't sell it short.
3: Wow, four loves. <laughs> I am an older listener, pushing forty. Oh, please, girl. Come on. Forty. <laughs> With three kitties at home. We went to art school before my mama life but you guys are adorable and I would love to hear an ab X episode but I will listen to anything you do ab X abstract expressionism I got you Gosh. girl there's, I got you girl there's some
2: more more art history lingo for you ab X fairness keep on <laughs> keep it on ladies and
3: thanks for getting me through my housework thank you fucking god fucking god <laughs> for podcast she's very appropriate censorship that was really nice lol <laughs> lots of love sarah oh sarah. Thank, you, sarah. Thank you, sarah thank you sarah good luck with your three kiddos i hope that art school was fun we will keep ab in mind baby yeah i think
2: i think we'll probably fairly cool. soon we'll do some more some more um, art period. movement, yeah, absolutely. Episodes. Abstract
3: expressionism
0: is like, whoa,
2: dude, it's so good, yeah, it's so good. I wouldn't even
0: know where to begin.
2: A little Willem uh, de Kooning, oof, oh man, <laughs> oof, <laughs> woman number two, little little Jackson Pollock, yeah, woman number two, man. I
4: want to talk about some Rauschenberg. Oh, Rauschenberg, oh. there's a lot of good abstract expressionism in California too, for real. We could we, we just see some they just had to before. express
2: themselves Abstractly. out here. Abstractly. Southern California, I just need to express myself. I just need to express myself. I just need to express it. Um, Thank
3: you, Sarah. Great advice. Great suggestion.
2: <laughs> great. It will be coming soon. I think Avex will be a great episode. Coming soon. Thank you so much to our listeners. You all are wonderful. You and... are like a
3: rainbow in hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. <laughs>
2: Be a little extreme. (laughs) It's been a rough couple of weeks. (laughs) I think what Jen was trying to say, Brad's still stressful and your positivity is really nice.
0: Um, I'm really tired. We
2: appreciate you all. We really appreciate you all. Thank you so much for listening to uh, Halloween episode number two. Um, I hope it got you thinking about death. (laughs) I know it's kind of intense, but also very interesting. Stay tuned for next episode, which is going to be... Election propaganda. Oh, shit. Just oh, shit. just in time for the election we've all been waiting for. Uh. <laughs> you guys, it's going to be over so soon. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 20 days. Yeah, over Even so less soon. when you listen to this. Yeah, yeah right? Um, so that'll be our next episode. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram, Art History Babes Podcast. Twitter at Art History Babes patreon.com slash art history babes if you it. want to help us out if you if you want to also just, if you want to. just very, very optional but also would be so super cool of you and honestly if you do like like help us out and then like send us an email we will give you like so many such shout outs such a shout out um, also if you want to help us out and you can't spare anything financially go on to itunes and write us a review it helps so much, and we've gotten so many wonderful reviews. Thank you guys so much. So, if you have time, please anything you write in there, is whatever cool. you
3: do, it helps
2: us. Yeah. So just yeah. do follow stuff. us on shit, uh, like us on Facebook, whatever. Write us a review. It really helps. Tell
3: your friends. Tell your mom. <laughs> tell your teacher.
2: <laughs> um. Yeah. So thanks for being. An awesome audience. We are peaking on like three thousand subscribers. Wow, right which is nuts. That's crazy. I know you guys are awesome. That's
4: really cool. Uh- <laughs> oh, so many See, people hearing my voice. I-, <laughs> I know.
0: I'm still like,
3: uh, what?
0: What? Every what? time I
3: hear my own voice, I'm like, I wish to
2: die.
0: <laughs> Momentum noise. <laughs>
2: And on that note, (laughs) thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Art History (laughs) Babes out.
3: Have a good time. (laughs) my own voice. I'm like, I wish to die. <laughs> <laughs>
0: noise.